So we are continuing in our series, Jesus in Genesis, and we are rounding the end. We have three more sermons left, including tonight. And so two more after this evening, and they both deal with Joseph, the son of Jacob. Uh, I have three long chapters of Scripture tonight, and my attempt is to go through all of them. Like I, I, so I cannot give a long introduction. My clock is already starting, so I, I just have to roll right in. But just as a, as a precursor, you're going to get scared because I'm going to spend more time in the first like 12 verses uh, than I will in the rest of the message, all right? So fear not if you're like, man, it's been 15 minutes and he's not even out of 39 yet. Just relax, okay? I'm just warning you ahead of time because there's a lot of application points in 39 and then 40 reads like a story, 41 also reads like a story, as 39 does. Anyway, we're going to jump right into Genesis 39 and what is happening here is we're back to the story of Joseph. If you remember last week, uh, Pastor Pete so well uh, handled Judah and Tamar, very, very PG-like. Thank you, Pete, for, for that. Um, I've had more positive comments about that sermon than I think out of the whole series. So it was a very good sermon. And if you missed it, you need to go onto the YouTube channel or the website and, and watch and listen to it. It was a very good sermon. Um, so, so now there's a break. There was a break, and now we're back to the story of Joseph. You remember, Joseph was sold into slavery uh, by his brothers, and then the story is he ends up in Egypt in Potiphar's house, and then we break to Judah, and now we're back to Joseph in Egypt. Now, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now what we see here is that God is invisibly and providentially with Joseph. It is made explicit in the text several times. Verse two, the Lord was with him. Verse three, his master, Potiphar sees, the Lord was with him, okay? And then when you go down to verse five, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The Lord was on, the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had, okay? And so it's, it's said here, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. And I think that when we read this, we're tempted to make immediate personal application to ourselves, okay? Because this is kind of how we're taught to read the Bible, and this is kind of how we're taught to read Genesis. We're, we're, we're taught to read it devotionally 
and applicably. Okay? And so what we might be tempted to do if we were just looking at this text is to say, if God is blessing you, then everything will go well for you, right? And if God is blessing you, you will be a blessing to others as well. Right? And then, we, you know, if I was one of those prosperity guys, I could say, if God is not blessing you right now, perhaps you don't have enough faith. Or perhaps you're not giving enough money to the church. Are you tithing? Huh? And so, you know, we could then break out the offering plate in the middle of service and, and ask for the Lord's blessing on the tithe and to bless you that you might be a blessing. But that would be a bad interpretation and a bad application of Scripture. But this kind of stuff happens all the time. Okay? What is being shown here is that the reason Joseph is finding success is God's hand is on him. God is blessing him. God is using him. And even Potiphar, this pagan Egyptian, can see divine favor upon him. Uh, you think of Laban and Jacob, right? Uh, Laban sees that all that Jacob's hand touches is blessed and even says, I learned by divination that God's hand is on you, basically. And so uh, what commentators point out here is that the blessing promised to Abraham and then to Isaac and then to Jacob has now fallen to Joseph. Do you remember when Abraham was told, in you all the nations will be blessed and I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And so here that promise has now fallen to Joseph. Okay? And we see it playing out. Now, if we were to uh, get this wrong interpretation of Scripture, it would be because we have isolated verses 1 and 6 from the rest of the chapter. Because look what happens next. Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Okay? The Bible does this very rarely. It, it, it does with a few individuals talk about their appearance, uh, both women and men. Saul, King Saul, was said to be uh, handsome in appearance and tall, shoulder and head above all the other people, and he was attractive. Uh, but remember, Joseph's mother was attractive. You remember that? Rachel? And, and so Jacob wanted her because she was so beautiful in the text says that she was beautiful in form and appearance, and so it gets passed down to Joseph. He was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. Okay? Now, we know what that means. Okay? I find you attractive. I want you. Let's do this. Okay? And Joseph, being with God's favor, we could say, full of the Holy Spirit in New Testament terms, resist the temptation. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Hey, let's stop there. And so Joseph says, look, your husband has entrusted 
everything in this household to me. No one is greater in this household than me. He has put no limits on anything except you. This is wrong. But then he goes even further, and he says why he cannot do it. How can I do this great wickedness? Okay, so, so it's like, by the way, this is a wicked thing you want to do. He calls it what it is right to her face. Right, and so some of us might be tempted when given blatant, blunt, in-your-face opportunity for temptation to just kind of slide away and not be blunt, but Joseph doesn't take that approach. This is wickedness, and how can I do this great sin against God? And he's looking her in the eye. And so then, verse 10, and as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. So look, this continues day after day after day. Joseph is a young man, by the way, full of testosterone, suffering. Don't we always kind of justify our sin when we're suffering? It's like, I deserve this, you know? And so remember, in the first six verses, God's blessing, but now what's happening? Is it God's curse now? No, you see, here's what we need to think about when we think about temptation and sin and opportunity to sin and God's presence, favor, and blessing. They actually go hand in hand. Do you remember in the temptation of Jesus, Jesus is baptized by his cousin John the Baptist. He comes up out of the water and the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove comes and anoints him. And what is the very next scene after that? And the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil 40 days and 40 nights. Now Luke specifically says, the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted. Okay? So this is the Son of God, not just with God's blessing, but God himself, though he did just receive a verbal blessing, right? This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. That was the verbal proclamation at the baptism. But here, this blessing of God is not diminished or sidestepped because of this severe temptation, right? Tempted by the devil himself. Friends, there is no greater tempter. And Jesus is led by God into that temptation. You say, how can that be? That can be because God, from his perspective and heart and motivation, did not want Jesus to lose, but rather to win. And in the same way, this is an opportunity for Joseph to either give in to temptation, to do the great wickedness, and to sin against God, or to stay steadfast, to rely upon God, and to resist day by day by day. That's what's happening here. And so Satan's motivation to tempt is to get us to fall and sin against God. And this is often what Satan does. This is one of his tricks. He throws out some delicious temptation to you, and he says, it's going to be so good. And then if you do resist, he says, you're so wicked for being tempted. How could you want that? But if we give in, then he says, 
you're so wicked. Are you even a Christian? How could you sin like this? And friends, we need to resist at both points. Because Jesus, as Hebrews says, was tempted in all ways as we are, yet what? Without sin. And so it's not a sin to be tempted. It's not wrong to be tempted. Because Jesus was tempted in all ways as we are, yet without sin. And so let us separate sinning from being tempted to sin. Because Joseph here does not sin, though he's being tempted day by day by day. Look at this, verse 10. As she spoke to Joseph day after day, day after day, lie with me, lie with me. Now, now that, that is a short version of probably the manipulative coercing that she did. And he refuses, resists, resists. Now clearly, Joseph is a picture of Jesus here, right? As Jesus was tempted in all ways and resist, so here Joseph is foreshadowing the temptation of Jesus. And we'll get back to that at the end. Now, here's another way I think we can think about temptation. Okay, let's, let's just stay here for just a minute. Did you know that before 2015-ish, infants were not recommended to have peanuts or any kind of peanut products before they were three years old? Did you know that? Like, you should not give peanuts to children because they will develop allergies. You know what happened? Stephanie's laughing. You know what happened? More allergies. They, they started to skyrocket. So you know what happened? They reversed the conventional wisdom, and now... From four to six months, you're supposed to give kids little bits of peanut butter. Why? Because they build up immunity. Their system learns to handle it. And so you give them, you know, little bits of peanut butter. Not the peanut. You don't shove peanuts in infants' mouths and they chew it. That thing's not going to dissolve with all that saliva. It's not going to happen. So maybe like a little puff or like, you know, some peanut powder, put it in the, put it in the bottle. But, but you see, what, what is happening is the immune system of the child is building up immunity so that it can have a peanut butter sandwich when it's one, okay? Friends, this is what God does with us. He allows you to be tempted so that you might build immunity and grow in your fight against sin. And so temptation is not always bad in some sense. Now in some sense it's always bad because sin's involved and evil's involved and temptation is evil. And James tells us when you're tempted, you should never say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted for there is, there is no shadow in him, no shadow of turning. There's, there's nothing in God that makes him want to have people fall into sin. Now, does God allow temptation or even allow opportunities to be tempted? He does. And this is what James calls testing. Testing of your faith. In fact, I think I have the text there. Yes, James 1, 2, and 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Did you know that that word trial can also be translated temptation. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet temptations of various kinds. Why? For you know that the testing of your faith produces immunity. 
No, steadfastness, solidness, rootedness. The storms of temptation can't blow you over because you are tested and tried. And let steadfastness have its full effect. In other words, as you are tempted and tempted and tempted and tried and tried and tried and you resist and you resist and you resist, what does it produce? Solidness in the Christian. You become mature, able to depend on God in the moment of temptation and resist. And here's what I found. As certain temptations are heavy and weighty and repeated, when you learn to resist them, the temptation level diminishes. And then new temptations come along. It's great. But the ones that are plaguing you right now, friends, if you continue to resist them, Satan's not going to keep using that same old tactic that doesn't work on you. And so you can take courage that, you know what, if I just keep resisting, this will no longer plague me. That's not to say in five years it won't come up again and tempt you again. Maybe it'll work now. And you resist again, and you resist again, and you resist again. Okay? And let steadfastness have its full effect. Now remember, this is from the perspective of God here in James. That you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Okay? That's from God's perspective. Now, is that what God is allowing to happen to Joseph? In some sense, yes. Because as we see later chapters uh, unfold, greater power, greater opportunity, greater temptation. Okay? And so now, if he's faithful with a little, what does Jesus say? He'll be faithful with a lot. And friends, the same is true for you. Now, now, this is a hard word, but we need to receive this. Friends, if we cannot be faithful with the little bit of freedom, opportunity that God gives us, He's not going to give us more. If you can't handle what God gives you, why would you expect Him to just pour on more? It would crush you. And so, friends, let us lean into the power of the Holy Spirit, and this is what you're going to see in in Joseph's life over and over again. God is with him. God is with him. God is with him. Well, in the New Testament, that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with him, enabling him, empowering him. We have the same spirit to be able to lean into that we might resist. Does not Paul tell the Corinthians, no temptation has taken you except what? Except that which is common to man. And when tempted, he will provide a way of escape. And that's what we see next. That's what we see next here. Look. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. Now, picture this, okay? Maybe he's like got his little clipboard, you know, as he's writing hieroglyphics, and he's like, you know, that's what they wrote with hieroglyph, right? So he's a little sun dial here and a little, you know, eagle head there, and he's keeping track. And she grabs him, and she's probably looking good on purpose, right? Like, think about it. She wants to seduce him. She's probably got some kind of nightgown on, something, okay? Egyptian nightgown, all painted up in the face. And she grabs him. 
She's holding on to him. That's, that's, his, that's as far as I'm going. That's PG. I'm not going further, right? Lie with me. Right? Lie with me. And so she, here it is again. Another opportunity. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. Hey, talk about a way of escape. So he did like a football move. You know, did a... <clears throat> And she's like holding his coat. She's thinking, what is he, Jerome Bettis? Like, what in the world here? And, and what was his way of escape? Literally, he ran. Friends, listen, I, I, this is not primarily what this text is about, but I feel like I need to say this to you. Sometimes it would be good for you to just run away. Like unplug the television, close the laptop, turn the phone off, hang up the phone, get out of that location, go. Like, what are you doing playing with fire? You're going to get burned. And so Joseph says, I'm out. And guess what? God's blessing is all over him, even as she is tempting. And so don't think to yourself, friends, when you are facing trials and temptations and troubles, God is against me. No, because that's not what we see here. God is with him. God is with him. God is with him. God is with him. Even as he's being tempted day by day by day. So friends, perhaps when God's blessing is on you, you'll be tempted even more. It's happening here. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon, as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hands and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. Okay? Now, think about from her perspective. He's running, and she's like, oh, crap. Like, I'm going to get in trouble if I don't do something here. All right? And so she's perhaps defending herself. I need to make up this lie. There's no one here. I have his jacket. And so she fabricates this lie quick, and she yells out for alibis. She, she calls for the other men, look, he tried to, you know, you take off the coat, and he's advancing towards her, and she screams. This is the story she makes up. And so they, they believe, the other servants, the men of the house. And then what does she do? Verse 16, then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. Okay? And now she's got his coat, and she's got the story, and she's either one defending herself or just so fed up with him, angry, enraged, I'm going to get him. Okay? Perhaps she's thinking death. Because to rape the wife of a powerful man in Egypt, and by the way, we haven't talked about this, Potiphar was a powerful man, and we know this because of what he was able to do after this. He's able to slide him right into prison with the highest officials of the land of the most powerful nation on earth at the time, okay? And so this is a powerful man. And so maybe she's thinking, he's gonna die. 
If I can't have them, no one will. <laughs> Verse 17, and she told him the same story, saying, the Hebrew servant, now watch this, whom you brought among us. Now she brings him to it. This is your fault. You brought him in here. And so now some of the blame is shifting on him. This is kind of like Adam, remember? The woman you gave me, God. She gave me of the fruit and I ate. And now she's like, this Hebrew you brought in. Came in to laugh at me. Now the laugh at me, that, that is a way of translating uh, to, have, to rape me basically, okay? It's, it's, a, it's a Hebrew way of being gentle with words. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. Okay, so now Potiphar gets the story from his wife, and now he's feeling some of the blame himself. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. Notice that, your servant, the one you brought in. <laughs> his anger was kindled. Okay, so, so Potiphar's mad. He's angry. But amazingly, he doesn't kill him. Like he, he doesn't execute him. Joseph's master took him, put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. Now, the king's prisoners are top-level prisoners. This is high security, but it's also with a little bit of freedom. These aren't low-level prisoners, right? These are not shoplifters. These are the king's prisoners, the ones that Pharaoh wants to hold, and we'll see two of them appear in the next section of Scripture. But the Lord, here it is again, but the Lord was with Joseph. So, again, does this look like the blessing of God? Being lied about, potentially thinking, I'm going to die for this? Like, I've done nothing but right? You know, if you were Joseph, think about it. You'd be thinking, I've been serving God, resisting temptation, praying for God's help. First I get sold into slavery. Then this woman over and over, and I resist, and this is what I get. Thanks, God. Right? That would, that would be a temptation for us, wouldn't it? And that would imply something about us if we were to think that, which is, God, I serve you because you give me a good life and an easy life. And when you don't, I turn my back on you. Okay? Do we love God for God or do we love God for what he can do for us? Okay? And, and that's, that is a big temptation, isn't it? To love what God gives and to love uh, God's blessing more than God himself, it's always a temptation. So, so a general theme here is going to be temptation, if you haven't noticed. <laughs> and so, here God is with him, showed him steadfast love, and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Okay? So now you have this, this warden. He's over the, one of the highest prisons. It's probably a house, like house arrest. And now Joseph has favor with this warden. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. And so quickly, again, he rises up to the top, very quickly. 
Okay? So this man has extreme gifts, like administrative gifts and wisdom gifts. He knows what to do such that he's in prison one minute and the very next verse, he's running the prison. Okay? This shows the Spirit of God giving him abilities, gifts, talents, and wisdom. Now, this should make you think of someone later in Scripture, right? You remember at the wedding of Cana? Uh, you remember that? They ran out of wine. And who's there to fix the problem? Right? And so, so Mary comes to the servants and says, hey, whatever he tells you to do, do it. <laughs> and Jesus is like, it's not my time. Like, it's, it's not time yet. And then, you remember, he fills up the, the six water pots, each holding 30 gallons, and then scoops some of that, take it to the master of the feast, and the water was turned to wine, and not just wine, but the best wine that was ever drunk, probably. And so, here's Jesus knowing what to do in every situation. J Joseph here is picturing Jesus. It's a, it's a forward look to Jesus. And as soon as he heard, whoops, did we go backwards? Okay. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. Again, the Lord was with him. You see that? Two times in this text here. The Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Notice that. The Lord made it succeed. Okay? So Moses here is, is not wanting us to mistake what's happening here. God is all over this. Okay? God is all over the temptation. God is all over getting him in the prison. And God is all over him rising to the top. But now think about the temptation of this. Okay? You're over a bunch of criminals, or at least potential criminals, and what does the highest person in the prison do? Look at this. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention, no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge. Can Joseph cook the books? Oh, yeah. You see the temptation here. Like, no one's watching me. I can do whatever I want here. Did Joseph fall into any of those temptations? No. How do you explain that? Because he was faithful with the little, faithful with the little, faithful with the little, and as he gets more authority, he is faithful still. Now, I'm not saying this to condemn any of us. I'm just trying to explain what's happening here. Okay? And encourage you that friends, maybe you've had a hard time just giving into temptation after temptation after temptation after temptation. Friends, today's a new day. Like every single morning, the Lord's mercies are new. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so maybe tomorrow is that new day that you say, you know what, I'm going to resist today. Instead of getting up and saying, you know what, I'm probably going to give in again. No, you get up and say, by the Spirit's power, I'm going to win today. And again, you're not relying on yourself in that. You're saying, by the Spirit's power, I'm not going to give in today. Amen? And so, friends, let us not live defeated lives as Christians. 
Like the Lord is all-powerful, and the New Testament is full of passages that say, by Him we overcome. We're more than conquerors in Christ. Okay? And so, let us resist by the power of the Spirit, or in the words of Romans 8, 13, by the Spirit, let us put to death the misdeeds of the body. And so, here's Joseph now in charge of the prison. Why? Because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Okay, now we have to move fast. I told you that was going to take up most of the time, okay? So, don't be afraid. Now we're going to fly, all right? Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. Now, notice this. Okay, the baker is the one who gets the food to Pharaoh. Therefore, great opportunity for poisoning him. That's an important position. And also, the cupbearer. Like, just drop a little bit of cyanide in that wine. This is fantastic wine, king. You got to taste this. These are very important positions. Ones that could uh, eliminate the most powerful man on the planet. And so think about how high a position the baker and the cupbearer are, and here they are in prison with Joseph. Again, not in with the shoplifters, in with the high, high officials in Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house. That's why house arrest is more likely here than what we think of as a massive facility with, with bars and little, little dorm rooms. And he put him in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them. And so you could see the hand of God here. And it just so happens that Joseph is in charge of these guys. He attended them. They continued for some time in custody. We don't know how long, but for some time. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in the master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. Hey, stop. Okay, now, can God speak through dreams today? I know that's what some of you were thinking. Okay, the answer is yes. Does God often speak through dreams today? No. Do you know why? Because we have the scriptures. We have 66 books of clear, unchanging revelation. Do you know how many books of the Bible Joseph had? None. Because Moses wouldn't even write Genesis for another 400 plus years. Okay? And so, how did God speak to the patriarchs? How did God speak to people at this time when there was no revelation? He spoke through dreams. He spoke through visions. He spoke through direct encounters, what we call theophanies. Remember Justin's sermon a few weeks ago? Okay? But we, friends, are at a better advantage. I know for, for many of you, you'd be like, give me some dreams. I want to hear from God. Yet, the Bible's sitting on your shelf, dusty, and you don't want to hear from God. Seriously, like your phone could download a thousand Bible apps and you could hear from God all day just by hitting play. And you're like, give me a dream. <laughs> I want a dream, right? I want to hear from God. Like I'm just, I'm trying to be funny and ironic here, but, but seriously, think about it. You can hear from God any time of the day or night. 
Just open up your Bible. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, piercing between bone and marrow the thoughts and intents of the heart. Everything is laid bare, and everyone is naked before Him, before the Word, okay? So again, God did speak through dreams, and listen, I'm not saying He can't do it. He does do it sometimes, okay? But you want clarity? Like, how many of you have bizarro dreams every night? Me. Yeah, I do. I wake up and I'm like, what in the world was… The other night, uh, I know I'm going to run out of time, Gino. He's like, don't do it. I'm going to do it. The other night, I was under murky water, okay? And I think it's because Brandon and I were having a conversation about getting stuck kayaking. That's probably why. So, so I'm underwater and I'm like, you can breathe underwater. And so I'm like, oh, I can breathe underwater. This is great, right? And so I spent a ton of time underwater breathing and, and it was great. And I don't remember what happened after that, but I remember that. So, so now, do I wake up and say, God is speaking to me? And, and come up with some bizarro interpretation? I did text Pete the dream in the morning. I said, bro, you need to interpret this for me. You know what he said? Read your Bible. I'm kidding, that never happened. All right, so, so dreams come. And then what happens next? Here, now, now remember, Joseph is not a stranger to dreams, is he? Remember? He was given a couple dreams. Remember the wheat bowing down and then the moon and the stars bowing down? And he even has the, the interpretation of those in some sense. And so here, they both dream dreams. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw they were troubled, so he says, why are your faces downcast? We've dreamed dreams, there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said, listen to this, do not interpretations belong to God? I love that. Please tell them to me. And so he doesn't say, you know who can interpret dreams? This guy. Right? No, he doesn't do that. He's like, dreams, God can interpret dreams. Tell it to me. Right? And so, th again, the temptation is, I can interpret dreams. Right? And, and he's thinking in his head, neon lights, Joseph, Joseph, Joseph. Right? No. He directs the gift to who it rightly belongs to. God can interpret dreams. Tell, tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, in my dream, there was a vine before me. And on the vine, there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth and the cluster ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Okay? And, and only, so now he's like, look, this, this is the interpretation. So when it happens, do this for me, please. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me this kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. So get me out of this house. For I was indeed, and now he's going to tell this story, for I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into this pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, he's like, yeah, 
right? He's thinking of baking some Dunkin' Donuts for Pharaoh. And he's like, yes, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, looking like that beautiful display of Panera bread, right? Full of cinnamon buns and cinnamon toast bagels. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. And in three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you. Look at that exclamation point. From you. Like you see his eyes wide and like, and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat the flesh from you. Dang, I didn't want that interpretation. Like, I'm going to tell you it again, and then you tell me the interpretation. Okay, here we goes. There was three baskets. <laughs> on the third day, now, now, now we're going to get the account of what happened. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position. He placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet, bad news, verse 23, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Again, Joseph would be tempted. I'm interpreting dreams down here. I'm being faithful. I'm not being shady. I'm not cooking the books. How come I'm not being remembered? Right? And you can imagine the temptation. But yet he does not curse God and die, as Job's wife encouraged him to do. After two whole years, friends, two years, some of you have been on house arrest, but I don't think any of you have been on house arrest for two years. I've been confined when I was 17, almost 18, for two weeks, and it felt like two years. And so here, after two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, okay? the Nile, the chief river uh, in Africa, which, by the way, starts in Uganda from natural springs in Lake Victoria. I've been there. You can like get down like this and you can see the bubbles coming up out of Lake Victoria. And then it's one of the only rivers that flows north from Uganda all the way to Egypt into the Mediterranean Sea. And this is the, like the lifeblood of that port, part of North Africa and especially Egypt. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up seven, the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke, <gasps> and he's disturbed by this dream he had. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled. He's bothered by this dream. He knows it means something. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Hey, think about that. All of them. Give me all the magicians, which, which are sorcerers, by the way, like demonic sorcerers. Bring them all 
and bring all the counselors, all the PhDs, bring them all, because I, I need to find out what this means. But there was none who could interpret the dreams. Then the chief, and I, and I skipped the, the I'm going to skip a little bit here, okay? Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offense today. And you can, you can just imagine, he's like, oh, crap. Two years ago. And now he's got to remind Pharaoh of his offense. Like, hey, remember when I screwed up and you put me in prison? Please don't kill me. (laughs) When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night. He and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. So like you can imagine, two years, man, that's a rowdy beard right there, right? His hair's flowing. He probably looks like a wild man. And so he, he quickly is looking good. And he's standing before Pharaoh. Like, this happens fast. And this goes to show that, like, when God wants to move, when it's time, at the right time, boom, he just gets it done quick. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. All the wise men, all the PhDs, all the counselors, no one. No one can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. That's right. I'm glad you've heard about me. I thought you would have heard about me two years ago. <laughs> but here we are, right? And, and so, again, tempted to be like, of course. All those other wise guys, they ain't got nothing on me, right? one eyebrow up like the rock, looking at Pharaoh. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. I love it. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Friends, let us learn from this. Like, let us not steal God's glory. It's another temptation, isn't it? To, To take the gifts God has given us and to put our name up. It's a temptation, it's a great temptation. Now, that doesn't mean we can't receive thanks for using our gifts from other people, but when we take credit as if it's us, that's the problem, okay? In our hearts especially. What do you have that you have not been given? And if you've been given it, why do you boast as if you haven't? 1 Corinthians 4, 7. And so, Joseph's like, no, 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 God, God will give you an answer, not me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. So uh, I skipped the retelling of the dreams. Joseph hears the dreams, and he says, the dreams are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. 
It is as I told Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout the land of Egypt, but after them, there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that this thing is fixed by God. Does he know something about doubling of dreams? Remember the wheat bowing and the sun and the moon bowing. And God will shortly, quickly bring it about. And then I love his, his boldness and his wisdom here. Listen to this. Now, therefore, so, so he just like, man, this is a wide open door for opportunity here. This is what I would do. And he's not afraid to, to say it. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man. By the way, all those guys, they didn't have the interpretation, right? I doubt he did that, but this is what Pharaoh's thinking. Like, wait a minute, a wise man? All those guys couldn't even tell me what the dreams mean? Let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man to set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve uh, for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this? Look at this. In whom is the Spirit of God? Capital S, the Holy Spirit. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this. There is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Talk about rise to power quickly. As you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand, put it on Joseph's hand, clothed him with garments of fine linen, and put a gold chain around his neck. Okay, that is official authority. Like rings were used to officially stamp documents. I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to put this royal garment on you, and I'm going to put this chain around your neck of authority. And, verse 43, he made him ride in his second chariot. This is my Bentley. This one's yours. Like, seriously, like gold rims and everything, 24 karat gold rims. You know, them Egyptians were into gold. You remember that, that King Tut thing, <laughs> right? So a gold chain. So think about it, man. He, he goes from being in prison, looking all scraggly, and now he's like decked out in gold with gold rims on his car. He's in charge of all of Egypt, and he's got the authority of the whole land of Egypt. And you know what? He's probably not going to let it go to his head. Why? Because he had been tested and tried, tested and tried, tested and tried, tested and tried for years. And so he was faithful with a little, God gave him more. Faithful with a little, God gave him more. Faithful with a little, God gave him more. Do you see the pattern? And now he's in top level 
authority. And he made him ride in his second chariot, and they called out before him, bow the knee. Now, I can just imagine Potiphar and his wife thinking, Like, we are done, you know, especially Potiphar's wife. You know, like she's got her head in the toilet trying to drown herself, right? Oh, no. Bow the knee. Thus, he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. Without your consent, no one shall lift a hand or foot in all of Egypt. Think about that kind of authority. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zephanath Paniah. And he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put food in the cities. He put in every city uh, the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea. Imagine that. So much grain that it looked like sand on the seashore until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Now, in my studies, I found out the Egyptians like to take great, careful records. And so it got to the point where it was like, there's too much. Like, we just can't fill up the papyrus reed anymore. There's not enough room to keep the records, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. Okay, so now, now it's healing time, right? But he names his son, I have forgotten my woes, basically. I have forgotten my trouble because it's so good right now. The name of the second was Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my afflictions. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all lands, but in the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Joseph for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened up the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt. Now, maybe a bit hyperbolic, maybe, but that's a lot of people. Like, maybe the known world at the time, the whole Middle East, All the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth, and there it's done. So here, the idea is not only did he get raised up over all of Egypt, but friends, he was literally keeping alive by God's hand the whole earth. Think about that. Who would have saw this from the pit when his brothers were selling him to the Ishmaelites. Not Joseph. 
right? And, and years have passed, but yet here we are, somewhere that Joseph never planned to be, and yet God had a plan. And so I have to say to you, friends, most of you don't like where you're at right now, right? And I don't want a raising of hands. I, I think most of us would find some area or several areas of your life where you're like, this is not what I want. And friends, I'm not gonna say that it's gonna get better like this and you're gonna be overall America as vice president or president. And everyone's gonna answer to you. I'm not gonna say that because it's probably not gonna happen. But what I will say is as God was with Joseph through every twist and turn of this story, friends, he's with us. Did not Jesus say in the Great Commission, I will never leave you or forsake you? And as Joseph now has all authority, that should remind us of someone with even greater authority, right? Jesus in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission says, all authority, not just over Egypt, but in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, in light of that authority, I want you, my servants, to do something. I want you to go and make disciples, baptizing them in my name, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And friends, it takes faith to believe that promise. Do you remember several weeks ago, we talked about God's promises and us being able to claim them? That's one of them you can claim. I will never, never leave you or forsake you. And what person of God is most close to us? The Spirit. Just as the Spirit was with Joseph, and so Pharaoh recognized it, Potiphar recognized it, and Joseph himself said it, friends, he's with us in an even greater degree because this is now post-resurrection. Jesus himself said, look, it's better if I go because if I go, then I will send the Spirit, the advocate, the counselor, and he will be with you, but not just with you, he will be in you. And so friends, Paul can say to us, do you not know that your body is a temple of God? Therefore, glorify God with your bodies. The Spirit lives in us in the same way that God used to dwell in the Old Testament temple, the Holy of Holies, carrying the very presence of God. Friends, now we are that temple. And so, Wherever you go, who is with you? God, the Spirit. Now that's disturbing because some of us go places we shouldn't in our thinking and in our actions. But friends, that can help you. Remember, I, I, you think about Joseph all the way through this story, okay? And he was conscious of God's presence. God was with him, God was with him. How do you know that? How can I do this great sin against God? Right? His answer proves that he knew God was watching him and that God would see his actions. The interpretation is not with me, but with God. In other words, God's with me, and I know that he will give me. So here's my point. Joseph was very conscious of God's presence with him, and what did that enable him to do? Read the story. Friends, what if we were more conscious of God's presence with us? Sometimes all it takes is reminding yourself of the truth. 
Sometimes it's helpful for us to remind others of the truth. Sometimes it's helpful for you to just be consistent and come to worship gathering and go to small group so that you could be reminded at least twice a week of these truths. Friends, if we were more God conscious, I think much would change in our lives. Amen? And so because of Jesus, life, death, burial, and resurrection, Joseph foreshadowing Jesus in so many ways that we couldn't even get into tonight. Friends, we have, as Joseph did, the presence of God with us and in us to enable us not only to live for Him, but to resist the enemy, the great enemy of our souls, who is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking to devour us. So friends, let us lean into the Spirit. Let us lean into His power and presence. For what? That we might know God, resist temptation, and live a life worthy of the gospel that we own and then proclaim to others. Amen? Amen. We're going to sing a, a gospel song as we celebrate Jesus, body broken and blood shed for us. So while the worship team comes up, I'm going to pray. And then uh, after, we will take communion together as one church. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are with us by your spirit. Father, as your word makes clear that you were with Joseph through all the ups and downs of his story, you are with us. For your word tells us plainly that we are the temple that you dwell in, that we have the very resurrection life of Jesus within us, the Spirit. Father, I pray that we would experience the power of the Holy Spirit in the ability to resist temptation, to be steadfast in trial and testing, to be able to remember the words that we've heard time and time again, whether read to us or told to us or sung. God, would we see victory in our Christian life? And God, when we fall, would we not despair, but rather get up and keep pressing forward because there is forgiveness in Christ. There is no condemnation for us as we are in Jesus. So God, wherever people are at tonight, would you speak to them? Would you minister to their hearts? Would you please meet them where they're at? In Jesus' name, everyone said. Thanks for taking a minute to watch this video. My name is Pastor Chris Moran. I'm one of the pastors at Eternal City Church in Wilkinsburg, Pennsylvania. Eternal City is a church that values biblical authority. We teach the Bible verse by verse, week by week, and we are seeking to eventually preach the whole way through the Bible. We believe that Jesus is God as he claimed to be, and his person and work are the center of the entire Bible. We believe that the Great Commission is still relevant today for Christians, that Christians are to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, teaching disciples to obey all that Jesus commanded. Eternal City is a church that values diversity in that we are a church of all kinds of people, cultures, classes, colors, and capacity. We are a church that values community and we seek to see our members hold one another accountable and build each other up in discipleship. We are a church that has a plurality of leadership for pastors and deacons who are servants who serve under the pastors. 
If this sounds like an interesting church to you, we would love for you to visit our website to find out more about us, eternalcity.org, or come visit us on Sunday evenings at 5 p.m., 1300 Swissville Avenue, Wilkinsburg, PA, 15221. Hope to see you soon.